Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Amen. As you grab your feet, grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is our passage of Scripture today. You know, when you're a kid growing up, man, toys mean everything to you. And kids always want the hottest toy, you know, whether it be a few years ago for the Tickle Me Elmo, or I don't even know what the hottest toy is anymore. My kids don't even play with toys anymore. You know, even the younger ones, they'd rather just tear stuff up. So, uh, <laughs> true story, true story, okay? <laughs> but back in 1985, 1986, the hottest toy that every little boy and girl wanted was this little animatronic bear called Teddy Ruxpin. How many of you guys had Teddy Ruxpin or you were given it? as You give it to your kids? Yeah, that was awesome. Um, my mom and dad gave my brother one for Christmas back in the day. And man, that thing was so cool. You could put a cassette tape in its back and he would read stories to you and his little mouth would move and his eyes would blink and all that stuff. And ours worked really, really well until I tried to play George Jones through him and <laughs> it broke O Teddy down. He just couldn't handle that. It's too sad for him, I guess. But it's funny what you remember from your childhood, because over 30 years later, 30 years later, more than that, longer than that, I still remember one of the songs that Teddy Ruxpin would sing. He would sing, two hands are better than one, two hands are better than one. Well, all right, let's just see Teddy do it. Check this out. This is Teddy in all of his glory. One, two hands are better than one. If you have a job that must be done, two hands are better than one. Four hands are better than two. Four hands are better than two. If you have a job that you got to do, four hands are better than two. Yeah, that was his buddy Grubby, man. They were so cool, all right? Now, it's just good common sense. When you have a job that has to be done, two hands are better than one. Everybody knows that. But in Matthew 5, Jesus flips the script here. And sort of stuns us. He basically says, you may think that two hands are better than one, but I say to you that one hand is better than two. Please stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning from Matthew chapter 5. I want to say to you this morning, I absolutely love the Word of God. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible says. What it says, God says, and you should believe every word of it, church. Matthew chapter 5, verse 30 says this. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to this passage of Scripture. God, would you let it do the work? Would you help it to do the work that you intended it to do? And that is to call us to extreme measures against our sin. Father, we rejoice in God, we rejoice in you, God, because you love us enough to tell us the truth, to tell us the truth about sin. And we pray that you would help us today to walk in that. God, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice who is yet to repent of their sins and believe in Christ, today's the day, God, we pray they would see their need they would see Christ crucified and risen and run to Jesus in faith and love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, 
Amen, amen, as you grab your seat. Well, today, guys, we're going to begin a new series that we're calling Radical, as we look at the hard sayings of Jesus. Now, you know, the world tries to buddy up to Jesus on their own terms. They often, they often picture him as sort of soft and cuddly, kind of like a pillow, right? Soft and cushy. He just affirms whatever your wicked heart wants to say is good. It conforms to you. We want to conform Jesus to us like your pillow conforms to your head at night. Pillows are soft. But you know what? Pillows can also be really hard, right? You guys ever been in a pillow fight? Right? And you stuff that pillow way down in there and you get it in a ball and you sort of get it all tight down there and then you whoop. I've seen people almost be knocked out from a pillow. Jesus had many KO knockout moments when he hit his hearers and now us, his readers, with a hard saying, with radical sayings. And so over the next few months, we're going to walk through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and encounter these hard sayings. And we're going to look at these canonically. In other words, we're going to look at them in the order that they come to us in the text, the order that we find them in the Bible. And undoubtedly, you're going to find some moments that are shocking. And what we're going to find is that Jesus is not a softie. Jesus is radical. And the calling of the kingdom of God is a radical calling. Here in our first hard saying, Jesus gets radical with sin. Again, Matthew 5.30, we stood a moment ago, says, if, you, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Here's the takeaway that I want you to take home with you today. It's this. I'm calling you to take extreme measures to oppose sin in your life. Let me say that again. Take extreme measures to oppose sin in your life. And to help us do that, today I'm going to answer the who, the why, and the how on this takeaway. So first, the who. Who should take extreme measures to oppose sin in your life? And here's the answer. Only those who sin should take extreme measures. Now I want you to notice here that Jesus, here in this passage, Jesus uses a bit of what we might call Socratic method here. Instead of Jesus just up and declaring, your right hand has caused you to sin, cut that thing off and throw it away. He instead puts it there in the form of the conditional, which causes every hearer to ask the question, is this true of me? Is this true of me? Jesus says, if, if, Your right hand causes you to sin as if it's possible for this not to be the case for you. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. And the hearers, including you and me, are left to decide, has my right hand caused me to sin? And of course, the logic here extends to every part of our body, right? Any part of our body that can be used as an instrument of sin. You see, just before this hard saying about the hand... Jesus talked about the eye in Matthew 5, 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. In Matthew 18, verse 8, Matthew 18, verse 8, Jesus adds in the foot here. Matthew 18, verse 8, Jesus says, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. 
It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than for two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. So the if here in this passage puts the saying in the conditional. So again, the question, who should take extreme measures to oppose sin in their life? And the answer is only those who sin. So then that causes you and me to ask this question. Do I sin? I want you to answer that question to yourself in your mind right now. Do I sin? Every one of you should be saying yes, right? Some of you, in fact, are screaming inside, but Pastor Ben, everybody sins. And I would say to you, now you're getting the point. Now you're getting the point. You see, my answer to the, to the who question is totally tongue-in-cheek, right? I'm using irony here to pull you in because the straightforward answer to who should take extreme measures to oppose sin in your life, the straightforward answer is every single one of us. There is no person on the planet who has not sinned. There's not a single person on the planet who has any time left to breathe and to live who will not sin again. Before they die. And the Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And to our great shame, we'll do it again and again and again in this current age. Therefore, therefore, we must take extreme measures to oppose sin in our life. None of us can just kick back and put our feet up. None of us can say, nah, Jesus' words don't apply to me. It applies to every person who sins. And that's every single one of us. And so every person in this room and on this planet should take extreme measures to oppose sin in our life. But that brings us to our second question. Why? Why? Why should you take extreme measures to oppose sin in your life? And the answer is because sin is extremely deadly. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush here. Right? He's not adding any fluff here, right? That's a hard saying. He's punching us here. Let me say that again. He punches us here. But with that punch is grace. You see, he graciously lays out the stakes for us concerning our sin. Look at Matthew 5.30 again. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. You see, Jesus says here that sin will land us whole body into hell. Hell, that place of eternal conscious punishment. Where God pours out his just and his righteous wrath on sinners for their sin. The, the Bible equates it to eternal death where you die daily, but you never cease to exist. Scripture clearly tells you and me that the wages of sin is death. So you and I, we've got to take extreme measures to oppose sin in our lives because sin is extremely deadly. Now notice here, notice here that it's extremely deadly. That's why we must take extreme measures. In other words, our force of opposition must be equal to and greater than the force of death and sin pushing on us. Sin's power of death is extreme, and so our opposition must be extreme as well. Half measures won't do. 
a lackadaisical approach will not withstand, will not withstand ascend extreme power. You know, as you look across the Bible, it's interesting to see all of the different metaphors that God uses to help you and me to understand sin. All these different metaphors for sin. Let me share just five with you here real quickly to help you understand how deadly sin is. First, the Bible says that sin is a burden. Sin is a burden. It's a heavy weight that will eventually crush you and me. Psalm 38 verse 4 says this. Psalm 38 4 says, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. Second, the Bible says that sin is a stain. Sin is a stain. We sang about that just a moment ago, right? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? It stained us. It's something you can't remove yourself. Listen to Jeremiah 2, 22. It says, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. Sin is a stain. Third, the Bible says that sin is a debt. It's a debt. It's a debt too big for you to repay. It's a debt that bankrupts us. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 points to this. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us. There's that word there. There's that debt, that financial thing, who has forgiven us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so the Bible says that sin is a debt. Fourth, the Bible says that sin is slavery. It steals your freedom and makes you dance to its commands. Romans 6.16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Finally, though, when the Bible uses metaphors for sin, it, it, it uses the metaphor of a lion. The Bible says that sin is a lion. It, it, it crouches, ready to pounce on you. Remember when Cain had had, had his, 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 um, his sacrifice rejected by God before he killed his brother Abel, before he murdered Abel? God said this to Cain. Genesis 4, 7. He said, if you do well, will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. That crouching in the Old Testament is referring to a lion. And it's more explicit in Ezekiel 19, 1 through 3. Ezekiel 19, 1 through 3 says, And you take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, What was your mother? A lioness. Among lions she crouched. In the midst of young lions, she reared her cubs, and she brought one of her cubs up. He became a young lion, and he learned to catch prey. He devoured men. Beloved, that's what lions do. 
They devour people. They are by their very nature and design killing machines. They are apex predators who sit at the top of the food chain and they will devour you as a snack on the way to eat. You know what I'm saying? But some of you may say, you know, preacher, I've seen lions in the circus and they didn't eat anybody. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes, but sometimes... Even those trained lions attack. In fact, just a few years ago, back at the MGM Zoo in Las Vegas, there were these two trainers in there with a lioness and a lion. And so it was a lioness, a trainer, a lion, big old bad looking dude, a lion, and then another trainer. And they're sitting there and people are videotaping and taking pictures of these amazing predators who have been tamed. And these trainers were walking in their midst to show how tame and trained they had made these lions. Well, this big old lion is sitting there, and he yawns, a big yawn, like he's just bored to death. And then something snapped. All of a sudden, he looked to his left, and he looked at that trainer like, hmm, that looks like a good snack. And then he looked back at the other trainer and was like, you ain't going to do a thing. And then all of a sudden, he jumped back at that other trainer and began to attack him and trying to devour him. Now, he didn't. The guy got away. But nevertheless, guys, that is a good picture, guys. That is a good picture of what lions do, even the ones that are tamed. And everybody was like, I can't believe that that happened. People, it's a lion. Lions do what lions do. Try to train them all you want, but you can not change their nature. They can and they will revert back to their killing nature in a millisecond. And I say to you this morning that the Bible says that sin is a lion. You cannot tame it. Now, that's what some of you here this morning are trying to do. You're trying to tame your sin. You've taken it in. You're trying to control it. You think you can snuggle it and stroke its mane and give it Eskimo kisses. But in the blink of an eye, it will launch for your throat and devour you. Beloved, sin is deadly, extremely deadly. It is not to be played with. You'll get destroyed. That's why you and I must take extreme measures to oppose sin in our life. And so that brings us to the final question this morning of how. How? How do you take extreme measures to oppose sin in your life? And here's the answer. Amputate, mortify, and limit sin in your life. Let me say that again. Amputate, mortify, and limit sin in your life. So let's think about amputation first here. That's exactly what Jesus says to do in our text, isn't it? Matthew 5.30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Amputate that bad boy and toss it in the garbage. Now just to be clear before some of you get ahead of the game here, Jesus is being hyperbolic, right? He's exaggerating language here to make a point please, double please, exponential please, do not go home and cut off your arm. Do not go home and cut off your hand. You will lose a hand and you still will not touch sin's cause. 
okay? What Jesus is calling us to do here through hyperbole is to amputate or to cut off the influence of anything in our lives that tempts us to sin. That's what he's calling us to cut off, right? There may be some friends that you need to amputate. There may be that bottle of whiskey that you need to amputate. There may be that channel or that show that you need to amputate. You know, every time I call into to Dish Network, who's our satellite provider, they are always trying to give me HBO and Cinemax. And I always say, so this is my answer every time, is I don't need that kind of temptation in my house. Cut it off, right? There may be a credit card that you need to cut up and amputate. There's a reason they call it master card. There may be a flirty relationship that's growing with someone who's not your spouse that you need to amputate. There may be websites that you need to amputate. Jesus says here, it's better to lose a hand than for your whole body to go to hell. Therefore, in other words, it's, it's better to lose a friend, lose your drink, lose your TV, lose your credit, lose that exhilaration of being a flirt. It, it's better to lose access to that website than it is to bust hell wide open. It's time for you and me to do some amputation. But let's also think not about just amputation, but mortification. Mortification. That's the second thing to do here. How? Mortify. Now, things outside of you, you can amputate, but you cannot amputate things inside of you. You've got to mortify those things. Mortify them. Mortify means to put something to death. That's what mortify means. Romans 8, 12, and 13 Romans 8, verse 12 and 13 says, So then, brothers, we're debtors and not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, mortify the deeds of your body, you will live. Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, guys... When I said a moment ago, if you go home and cut off your hand, you've not gotten to the source of your sin. You cannot hide from your sin. You cannot run far enough. I, I, I used to be a youth pastor, and one of, my, one, one of the families that I, that I was pastoring, they had a son who was in a lot of trouble, and their, their, their plan, their, one of their options, they thought, is if we could just take our son and move him to a new city, he would be different. And what they were blind to is, is that no matter where they took that young man, even if it was to the Mojave Desert by himself, sin would still be with him because sin was in him, right? Sin was in him. Sin comes from within. It arises from ungodly desires in your heart. Therefore, you and I must mortify these ungodly desires. And you can do that one of two ways. One is that you can starve that desire until you have mastery over it. You know what I'm talking about? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus, Jesus said. You starve it. You don't feed it. When that desire comes up, you don't give in to it. You don't click on that website. You don't go by that woman's desk. 
You don't go into that store. You don't feed it. You starve it. But there's a second way to do that. You can either starve it or you can replace it. You can replace it, right? Therefore, um, when you do that, this is the put off, put on motif that we see in Scripture. You put off and you put on, you replace. I want to read the whole passage of Colossians 3 here that you and I might see this put off, put on motif here. Colossians 3, 5 through 17. And notice it here, what, what we're to put off and to put on, what we're to replace. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mortify these things. Kill them. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. Here we go. We just put off. These are the things that we're to mortify to get rid of, and these are the things that we're to replace them with. Put on the new self. Verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in your body, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You have to kill the sin, right? Mortify it, put it off, and replace it. Some of you may be new to Eastwood, but uh, you, so you may not know this. I, I'm, a, I'm a beekeeper. Not a good beekeeper, but, but I'm a beekeeper, all right? And one of my hives that I have is extremely aggressive. Man, that thing. And they're fine if you're working around the hive, but when you open that thing up, they are all over me. I'm talking about a thousand or more honeybees trying to sting me. And I've got two, I've got actually I have three options. One, and they've stung me a bunch, okay? One, I can do nothing and just let them keep stinging me. Two, I can come in with a flamethrower <laughs> and cook every one of them bad boys and get rid of them. Trust me, I've been tempted to do that one. Or three, I can find the queen, kill her, and replace her with one who is nice. <laughs> and that's the one that I hope to do. You see, it's from the queen. It's from the queen that all this aggressive DNA, all this aggressive genetics comes from, okay? And so those are my options, right? I'm going to go with option three. I'm going to replace her. I'm going to replace her. And that's what you and I have to do with our sin, guys. We have to find it. 
And when I find her, I'm going to kill her, and then I'm going to replace her. And that's what you and I must do with our sin. We must find it, we must kill it, and we must replace it with righteousness. Finally this morning, let's talk about limitation. Amputation, mortification, but finally limitation. There are things in your life that are not sinful in and of themselves. It's not that you do these things or use these things that it's wrong. It's the amount that you do these things or use these things. Let's just pick on our iPhone for a moment. It's a really wealth of illustration here. Whatever device you use, maybe you don't use an iPhone, maybe you use a Galaxy or, or whatever Android device you use. But those things, those devices are not sinful in and of themselves. Amen? Amen. Right, they're not. They're amoral. That means they're neither moral or immoral. But the way that you and I use them can be moral, right? It can be sinful, right? These good things can hold us back from better things. Just a few weekends ago, after seeing our kids with their faces buried in a device, and they would only come up for breath to holler at the oven about, it's their turn, the switch, you know, I, my, all this stuff. Christy and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are feeling a device-free afternoon coming on here, all right? And we did. We, we banned all those devices. I have an app on my phone that can shut down every device that I don't want my kids using, Okay. I love that device. My kids hate that device, but I love that device. I love that app, right? I love that app, okay? After my kids threw a fit like I'd just taken away their best friend, I eventually, in a few hours, Christy can attest to this, we heard guitars being played. We heard trampolines being jumped on. We saw dress-up happening and imagination and playing together, right? You see what I'm saying here? There were Good things, right? Don't get me wrong. Playing a game is fine or watching a YouTube video is fine. But there are better things that are being limited by these other things, all right? There are things in our life, and you know what those are for you, that need limitation. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's... it's you, you just know what it is. I'm not going to go through a whole list here. What I'm saying is not just for kids, right? We as adults. Because again, sometimes I'll say... Y'all are too much on this, and, and my, my, my kids will turn around and say, but you're on it a lot too, Daddy. And I said, you are right. right. This is not just for kids. There are things in our life that we need to limit because although they're good, they are robbing us of the great, okay? Television, food, technology, shopping, alcohol, friends, PlayStation, Xbox, Wii. Facebook, money. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 encourages you and me in this way. Here's what it says. It, it pictures us as running a race. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, here it is, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, church, you and I need to limit, throw off, get rid of anything that is holding us down. I don't know if you've ever tried to run with ankle weights before. For. Or you sometimes you'll, you'll drive by Scottsville Road here where the CrossFit is, and you'll see them running with a big old 45-pound weight or something like that. A lot of us are doing that because we are not limiting 
things in our life that are keeping us from growing with God. You need to do that. Amputate, mortify, and limit these things. That's how you take extreme opposition against our sin. But let me say this. If you're here today and you have not yet repented and trusted in Jesus, you do not have the spiritual power to do that until you repent and believe in Jesus. That's the first step, right? Christians can can, uh, amputate, mortify, and limit, but non-believers will never do that with the power of God because it takes the power of God until you come and trust in Jesus Christ. So I've I say to you this morning, if you have yet to come to Christ, today is the day to repent and believe on Jesus and be saved. Beloved, always remember that when it comes to opposing sin, one hand is better than two. I say to you, you want to you be like Jesus? Then it's time to get radical against your sin. Here's my final prayer. May we never be like a daisical and half-hearted concerning victory over our sin. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. 
Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.